but we are. So you ate some what? Hot what? Who? What? Hot pho, which is the most hipster thing I will ever say. Are you not finishing a word? I feel like you're... What? Yeah. It, what he means to say is that my penis went too far down and injured his throat, which is why he's he's trying to talk. <clears throat> as long as we have a reason. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter yeah. if it's real or not. You're listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode two, four, five. Episode 245, this is the Gimme 5 podcast. 2456. <laughs> An semi-entertaining show about, uh, today, very entertaining things. This is a... Uh, 789. What time? 789. Oh, That's why 4 is... 5 is afraid of 7. Oh, Jesus. I, That's I, why I, 6 was afraid of 7. Damn it. Okay. Dear Lord. <sighs> anyway, we're going to talk about pop culture and entertainment and... Uh, a really great show on uh, Netflix, etc., etc. My name is K-VRC. I'm joined by... Xbot 4000. <laughs> What's a long-ass pause? I, didn't, I was going to do the other one first, and I changed my mind. Uh, bleep, bloop, bleep, bleep, bloop, bleep. One, zero, zero, one, one, zero, 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 one. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> your, your binary is exquisite. It is, yeah. <laughs> and I'm also joined by 11-45-G. And that reminds me of a sign I saw in a TV show one time that I thought was effing hilarious, but it's funnier when you see it because it says, there are 10 types of people in this world, those who understand binary and those who don't. <laughs> that's very funny and you get it (laughs) that's funny (laughs) that's pretty solid um well okay so we're going to talk about things of a robotic nature um we're going to talk about the book the 90s by chuck klosterman which sounds great i want to read that we're going to talk about love death and robots season three that just came out and the surprising rescue rangers are we going to spoil any of it? Should we spoil yes. some things? Yeah, in some ways. Okay. Uh, well, the '90s it already happened, so there's not much to spoil there. But that's fair. The uh, Love, Death, and Robots we're going to spoil a little bit of that, and Rescue Rangers, which is chock full of references. If you get annoyed when you get like Easter eggs spoiled, you might want to run away. Oh, okay. So. It's going to be spoilerific. Yes. All right. That's fine. That's fine. Plenty of spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What's in the news? Ooh, Thor. Ooh. What's happening there? Uh, the new Thor trailer is here. I watched it. It's great. It is. I really want to see it. Okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of little in-jokes with Thor getting back into shape, which look great. Um a hammer reveal, which I thought was kind of cool, and the villain looks creepy. Yeah. Like, Voldemort is vomiting Venom, like the character, not the Venom. But 
still recognizable as uh, Christian Bale, actually. That's true. Really? Yeah. Yeah. As a chameleon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's like we know what Christian Bale would look like if he was to die in the desert and just mm-hmm. like turn into a husk. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> he would look like this. Um, there was also two pretty cool events this weekend. Um, uh, yeah, let me, I can go really quick because I'm not going to go down the path of which bands were awesome. Um, four day concert, Daytona, uh, it's called welcome to Rockville. Now, uh, two of those days sucked. I was out one of those two days because it rained out the entire time mm. and it was actually right in the middle of the loop of the Daytona 500. Uh, track or Daytona International. Oh, cool. So when it started raining, now I, the bands were all that did play were actually really good. I saw um, Nine Inch Nails. They're great. Smashing Pumpkins actually surprised me. Um, I saw Jerry Cantrell, but he got rained out right before the solo on Man in the Box, which is one of my favorite solos of all not time. cool. Yeah, not his fault. No, no, no. I meant not cool. Rain. But <clears throat> fucking rain. Jerk. And while I did have a good time, it sounds like some good, some bad. There's some people in this world that I will never understand. As there's a woman that brought maybe a three month old baby to the concert. That tracks. In That's fine. Ninety degree weather. In the little like carrying thing. And did the kid like have heat stroke or some shit and have to be taken to the hospital because she's a <sighs> terrible mother? I saw them. They had these these big like Instagram picture things all over the field and they were kind of like sitting. She, she was self-aware enough to realize that the baby was going to get hurt by the sun because she kept on moving around that pole to follow the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, but not smart enough to realize you shouldn't bring a creature that I don't think they can even regulate their body temperature. It's like I walked by, I thought, I'm like, that's weird. There's a case there. I thought it was some, I looked down. I was like, Oh my God, there's a baby in here with a, uh, they had the big like ear ear things on at least, but like if you give birth early, don't bring the kid. Yeah, to you're, you're missing the show. It's fine. Yeah, it, it is what it is. So there will be another. Yeah, yeah. So like that, like that was the main thing. I was like, seriously, but either way, it's nice. I got to go to a concert. I didn't have to talk to anybody. So that's nice. unless I was you know ordering root beer. So how was the root beer? It was actually really good. <laughs> you wrote uh, root beer with an I exclamation did. mark under a con- and that was actually the first thing you wrote on your notes was root beer. Yeah. It's screw the, the music, it's- screw the bands that were there. Damn it, they had root beer. The way it's written on here the it looks root like beer. root beer's a band. Like, oh, they play? <laughs> yeah, root beer yeah. exclamation mark. They reunited for this concert? Yeah, they did. <laughs> the first the, the, the second time they played. <laughs> they play that what that Song Tapper or whatever. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, no, the root beer. It's apparently the bass player from Breaking Benjamin has a root beer thing. So he started his own like root beer shop up in Pennsylvania, and they had a booth, and there was like this giant line. It was like the second longest line in the whole like thing. So I'm like, okay, I got to try this root beer. It was pretty good. It was good root beer. All right, can't get it in Florida. Gonna have to order it down. Uh, the reason why it was number one on my notes is because I got a sticker from them, and I was, I had it in my hand when I started the notes. That was why. Nice, fair enough. Yeah, but um, good old fashioned rock and roll concert. And while I was doing that, you were uh, 
playing with nerds. I was. <laughs> this past weekend was was Orlando's annual Comic-Con event, uh, Megacon. Four-day event, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I go all four days. Love it. Um, the One of my favorite vendors was back, the, the chocolate people, uh, Copper... Copper Cauldron, I think, or Copper Coast, Copper Coast. But they have these amazing uh, truffle chocolates. Their toffee is out of this world. Their their caramel turtles are amazing. I spent so much money on chocolate. I in the first three days, I spent more money on chocolate than I did on um, collectibles. And I bought like four GI Joe figures. <laughs> and I spent more money on chocolate. <laughs> That's fair. It was it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was so good. It's good chocolate. Is that the, that's the same people from before, right? Yeah. yeah. I think we have now talked about that chocolate on these episodes more times than we've talked about like the Lost Boys. <laughs> that's entirely plausible. <laughs> it is it is super good. Um, I didn't really find anything that I was like because occasionally like I'll go and I'll find like one big item that I want to purchase, and I didn't really find anything that was you know kind of uh, tweaking my nipples. So I went with something that I had actually looked at multiple times and had never actually pulled the trigger on. And that was a leather-bound copy of The Princess Bride. Oh, that's what that Sweet. is. I thought that was like a journal or something. It's really no, cool it, looking. It's, it's actually a leather-bound copy of the book The Princess Bride. Hardback copy. Wow. And it looks really good, and it's it's got a it's got an embossed picture on the front, and it's got some raised um, some raised artwork on the back with the Princess Bride uh, written on the back. Really, really well done. And they they had a number of books there, and I was I was kind of torn because there were some that looked really good. They had the Last Unicorn, leather bound. They had the Dark Crystal, which uh, which I almost got because on the cover they actually have a giant purple crystal like embedded in the in the cover um the never ending story they actually had the orin pressed into the cover the the little snake the two snakes eating each other or whatever just like in the they skin in the that movie. big flying thing it was like covered in white fur <laughs> yeah falcor yeah <laughs> rest in peace wow uh and delicious by the way so <laughs> falcor tastes, was delicious tastes exactly like you think you would taste like but the, I mean, I had a great time. I I always do. Um, I get a lot of compliments on my cosplay. The I, I'm always amazed by how how drawn people are to Darkwing Duck. I I never when I first started doing that cosplay, I never realized he was so popular. But people stop me all the time. They're like, "Oh my god, that's my childhood! Oh, this is fantastic!" Um, I hated my childhood. Yeah, exactly. Punches you and, in the face. And Dude, I, that's uh, my mask. <laughs> I actually get a lot of compliments on my on my regular Darkwing Duck. They're like, "Man, that's the best Darkwing Duck I've ever seen." Blah blah blah. So they, you know, that always makes me good. But the um, the show itself was, I mean, fun as always. Saturday though was an absolute madhouse. I think they oversold it. There were people that were on like Instagram or and on social media complaining Saturday morning. That they were waiting in line to park for two hours. Wow. All of the parking lots at the Orange County Convention Center apparently were full. 
and people were parking at uh, Icon Park and walking over because the, all of the lots were full. And I that's th a uh, thirty-minute-long walk, if I remember correctly. Uh, probably dressed as Batman or yeah, like. And I, I think know. what happened was, I th I think one they oversold, but I also think that it's entirely possible that people were cashing in their their vouchers from previous years when it got canceled. Possibly. So I I think that's why they had such a huge spike on Saturday. Well, my. My voucher was only good for Sunday because that's what I had bought. I think mm -hmm. didn't make it, but but cool. but Saturday is usually the busiest day. So if yeah. if a lot of people were cashing in their Saturday vouchers, then I mean that that would explain some of it. Yeah. So, cool. but all in all, it was a fun event. I had a good time. Uh, well, MegaCon and R Welcome to Rockville actually that's for fans, uh, and Patreon. Is also for fans of the Give Me Five podcast. Mm -hmm. Nice, but more so, <laughs> you help out the show, and then we become fans of yours. Ooh, I like that. Uh, and, um, you get a chance to chat with us on our Discord chat. You get a chance to uh, um know the movies that we're going to talk about beforehand. You sometimes get to know the uh, the Give Me Five podcast question beforehand. You get to participate, yeah, and you get to participate. Uh, anyway, that's uh, patreon.com slash give me five podcast. The help starts at $5 and goes up to a much higher $50 for our uh, patron of unusual size. So. Okay. Uh, what do we want to talk about next? Yeah, where do you want to start? Let's, let's do that 90s book. Okay, we can do that. Nice. So the 90s, a book... Uh, it was released about a month ago. I don't find the exact date, but it was written by Chuck Klosterman, who is uh, – he's one of my favorite authors when it comes to think pieces and essays and things like that. I believe he got a start for some music magazine or something along those lines. But he wrote a book called uh, – something. oh, shoot. I'm not going to remember it now. Something in Cocoa Puffs. I think it was like – I keep on wanting to say sex, drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, but I don't think – Yeah. Let's see here. I'm going to look that up while live. Not uh, sex drugs. Oh, it is sex drugs and cocoa puffs. Okay, well there we go. This is a very. This is one of those very weird episodes where everything kind of lines up. We talked about uh, love, death, and robots, sex drugs, and cocoa puffs. The nineties. There's a lot of. It's all coming together. Um. Yeah, it is. Uh. Anyway. How we do. So he he'll write think pieces combining things, and his books either hit big time with me, or, uh, or he uh outthinks the room, and there's so many levels of stuff that he talks about that like for example one of his books is like was like called what if we're wrong and it poses very wrong ideas as if they are true but the book is also about why it's wrong that they're true so like by the time you get through all of that it was even hard for me to figure out there by the time you get through all that it's a little bit difficult to wrap your brain around so Either way, I was very excited for this book because it seemed like a return to form, and it is one of those eras that I lived through. We all lived through it, and we all lived through it to the point where we remember all of it. Like, right? I'm pretty sure you guys all remember where you were when it turned to 1990 and when it turned to 2000. So you pretty much remember the whole thing. Yeah. Um, 2000, I think I was in the driveway waiting for you. Uh, 
Was that 2000? Yeah. No, cause... It was, it was the, it was New Year's Eve of, uh, 99. No, because we had a party at my, at my parents' house that night. That was, uh, 99, I believe. Well, you, you probably know better. I don't know. I've, I have to look at the picture. Or was it 2000, 2001? No, because I'd moved to Orlando at that point. Well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh. So the synopsis from the best-selling author of But Whatever Wrong, a wise and funny reckoning with the decade that gave a slacker grunge irony and about the sin of trying too hard during the greatest shift in human consciousness in the decade of American history. Now, now some of the interesting things about this book is you look at the 90s and you can – depending on where you – like what you thought about or what you think about it, you can be like, oh, it's yeah, grunge and like irony and people dressing down and you know everyone wearing those stupid like Mexican-looking hoodies <laughs> like that. But, like, that kind of ended at the beginning of the 90s because the later half of the 90s was everything was, like, over-processed, boy band, uh, even taking the grunge music and dumbing it. And I actually like some of these bands that I'm saying, so. But, like, dumbing it down to, like, stuff like Bush and stuff like that where it's – they didn't live the grunge, quote-unquote, life for I'm 20 years sure, before making music. I'm pretty sure that you took the grunge look all the way through, like, 2010. 2010. <laughs> dude. The second it hits 60 degrees here, the grunge look comes back. I don't care. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> my, when my boss had to uh, write a, a thing about me on my class, like he had to put like a little like tagline for each instructor's name on he the website. He flannel. He, he wrote plaid enthusiast. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> plaid enthusiast. Which is quite possibly – really let me know that my boss knows me, though. Like oh yeah, he's paying attention he's for sure. Oh, <laughs> plaid enthusiast, and it's the most comfortable thing in the world. I mean, I've never been a lumberjack, flannel but, aficionado, but I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so this book, uh, it each chapter kind of takes you through a very broad subject: music, movies, TV, things like that. But in inside of that, and I referenced this on episode a little while ago, you know, it talks about video stores, for example. And how the 90s were really the first time that if you didn't see a movie in the theater, you could go out and rent it, like easily, or eventually buy it. Whereas before, and we all know this, like you saw a movie in the theater, if you, and or you missed it, that sucks, you had to wait for it to come on HBO. And then in the 80s, video stores started like proliferating, but it wasn't quite as common as in the 90s, obviously. Um. And that's why a lot of us, like, we'll, when we think HBO, some people think, like, Game of Thrones and Sopranos, and other people think Beastmaster, because it was on all the time, right? All the time. HBO. Hey, Beastmaster's on. Actually, it was, it was on, I believe it was, like, TNT that just, like, ran it into the dirt. It was, like, on every day for, like, six hours on TNT. Yeah, TNT. Exactly. I think more than HBO, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. The, so although, you, although that was, and I remember that that was where I saw it because when I went back and watched it when we when we did it, I was like, "Holy shit!" There was nudity in this movie. I had no idea that the nudity was in the movie because the only channel I'd ever seen it on was TNT. <laughs> and it was nudity when I, there television. was always nudity when I watched it, but it was me. <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> Those ferrets were amazing. You were just so turned on. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were very talented ferrets. Uh, 
So it talks about that. It talks about, you know, of course, the not only the the rise of Seinfeld, but the episodes about Seinfeld the episodes of Seinfeld when they were trying to pitch a show that was about nothing. And how in the midst of the nineties, a decade that a lot of people thought was about nothing and it was ironically about nothing, they kind of nailed the that zeitgeist. Yes. Uh, so it talks about that. It do, it does actually. It's interesting because it gets into politics, and he he does you know, talk about being left leaning, but he also refers to the fact that around that time, the common sentiment was that when Clinton and Bush were running against each other, well, they're both kind of the same. They're on one side or the other of the middle, which over time turned out to be not true. But he actually talks about where the common idea was right and wrong when looking back at it. You know, the biggest thing on, on the planet, and I'm, I'm taking the Fox News line here, everyone, when Fox News came out and MSNBC came out within a few months of each other, they were not thought of as, oh, you listen to MS, you watch MSNBC, you're a lefty, or you watch Fox News. They just, everyone just assumed they were all basically CNN, just with different people. Just different news sources. Um, and then it and then it started separating and, and doing that. But one of the things that you know Fox News and a lot of those people kind of brought up was all this stuff about you know Clinton being a, a finagler or he was a, he had a lot of uh, sexual uh, escapades in his past. And and in well, the office, <laughs> yeah, and you know people are like, well, you know. You're just you're just saying that you're just saying that. Well, that in that case they were proven right. So it's just it's it's interesting looking back on on uh, pontification on these kind of things. Uh, the, uh, another little kind of thing I thought was really interesting was just he separates out the decades because we try to separate out the decades. Be like, oh, it's yeah, that's '80s metal. You know, it's all hairspray and all that. But it didn't just stop. Oh, it's 1990. Okay, we can't listen to Poison anymore. Can't listen to Motley Crue, which. Would be a would be a problem for me, not so much for you guys, but for me. But that really didn't stop until early into the nineties. So there's a lot of little interesting aspects in in the book. So I I really enjoyed it. I I breezed through it. I mean, it helped to breeze through it because I was sitting at a concert that was rained out for like seven hours. So I got a chance to you know listen to it a lot while sitting inside of the Daytona Speedway. Um. But and you could have been at Megacon. Yeah, well, you know, I did see seven songs that day. <laughs> Worth it. One of them was "Man in the Box," played by Jerry Cantrell, oh, though. Nice. So, yeah, he's that so was, good. That was worth it. Yeah. So I was okay with that. So you're speaking words, but I don't. You're. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, the '90s. Get that book if you were interested. When I said I'm gonna actually, when I post this episode, you can uh, go back and I will put a link to buy that book from our Amazon link. It's a good idea, and um, it will give us a little bit of money, which I will then spend on a Alice in Chains album for Rob's, so he understands what I'm talking about. Man in a box. I think I'm gonna get that book too. Uh, the the '90s. I think I'm gonna check it out, and I like the idea. I like the idea that. Uh, like you were saying with music, and that's just one example, but like Poison, whatever, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, 
you're right. They did have albums in the 90s, but they're still even today considered 80s bands. So I like that I like that the 90s I like that he takes it outside of the boundaries of the actual numbers because there's things you associate with different things. Does that make sense? Like the grunge things. Yeah, no, like uh, the Summer of Love for example, when you would stop that basically the 60s theoretically ended in in you can depend on whether it ended in 1969 with the Manson killings or 1971 with Altamont. Right. Or did the 70s begin in 1969 with the Manson killings or in 71 with Altamont? Right. Either way, it didn't – New Year's 1969, nice, uh, did not uh, <laughs> mean that everything was all of a sudden going to change. I think we all know that the 70s began with James Taylor, but we're not going to go down that road right now. Uh, Rob, you're going to have to log off now because <laughs> I have to argue with Omar. <laughs> Who's James Taylor? I don't know. I just made that name up. Okay. There is nobody named James Taylor. That's my alter ego. I'm a Carly Simon Truther, you son of a bitch. Carly Simon Truther. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, did you, Rob, did you watch um, Love, Death, and Robots? I actually did watch Love, Death, and Robots. I watched every episode of Love, Death, and Robots. And you, How about you? And I did, I did. I absolutely did. Did you watch uh, the... Rescue Rangers as well? Was that you? I did. Hmm. Which one would you... Did you watch Rescue Rangers? I did not. All right. Well, let's let's save that one then since uh, Greg is not... Because I know he watched that. He watched Rescue and, Rangers? Yeah. Okay. And I think he's only seen like two episodes of yeah. Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah, that's what he said. But I... I well, well give, us, give us the lowdown on Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, it just came out like days ago. May 20th, 2022. Yep. It's a, a Netflix series. This series, this is the third season. Um, it's an anthology, animated anthology series. Um, the synopsis. Where was the synopsis that I found? It was. It's a collection of animated short stories that span various genres, including science fiction, fantasy, horror, and comedy. There you go. And and it really is an anthology series. I mean, they have all kinds of. All kinds of like storylines and whatnot, and the the episodes themselves are only what like anywhere from eight to twelve minutes long or something like that. Uh, a few, a couple of them are in the sixteen minute range. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the shortest one is the shortest one this season. I don't know overall. Um, is the episode titled? Uh, it, it's a really good name. Hold on. Um, it's like. The perfect name. I gotta find it because I don't want to mess it up. Night of the Mini Dead. And it's and it's uh a, it's a very short episode. It's maybe six or seven minutes, and it's great. It's literally in miniature. It's like in in in, in miniature, and it's just it, a it, zombie apocalypse. Yeah, it shows the start of a zombie apocalypse and how it all how it all uh just spirals out of control but it's funny because it's sped up (laughs) yeah so it's like hilarious and and the people are just like little squeaks they like the way they sound the little squeaky voices (laughs) and oh it's it i I really enjoyed that one it was a lot of fun and watching watching the i mean you could tell that it was little miniature sets and it it looks like it's very obviously claymation or or some kind of stop-motion animation but they did such a great job on it, and it's just really entertaining to watch. It and like, like we said, it's only like six minutes. So, but everything about it is great. Like, 
It, it was super the way fun. that the apocalypse starts is hilarious. Mm-hmm. The the way that the president reacts is, is hilarious. It, the it's just funny and quirky. It's just such a weird idea, but it's it's fun. It's super fun. The other really funny one because there's um uh you know because there's so many genres. They brought back the three robots from the first episode yep. of season one. This one is mm-hmm. called Three Robots Exit Strategies. And it says yep. three three robots three robots walk into the post apocalypse and take a whirlwind tour of humankind's last attempts to save itself. <laughs> so they go and visit how different people handled the oncoming apocalypse um from like a poor sort of I guess what you would call a poor point of view, like poor people and then r- r- super like rich and then mega rich. Right. And it's just hilarious. And because these robots there it's get me some fish. Get it yourself. Meet Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, did you catch that when he sees he let he leaves he goes so long and thanks for the fish? And she flicks yeah. him off. Yeah, that's from um yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So long and thanks for the fi- thanks for all the fish. That's what the I think the dolphins say that before they leave humanity. I loved on this one it was funny, but I also like the staging of it. Mm-hmm. Like you could kind of tell what each person did at the end, like the the pile of bodies trying to get into the, um, into the compound or whatever, into the compound. Or like they're like leaning, they just like walk them up, walk up them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very I, well done. I always, that's always like one of my favorite things about Halloween Horror Nights, like how they stage the scenes. Yeah, and this and this one was very well staged and well shot. Which apart from being funny, I also had a great kicker at the end too. This with the oh, uh, astronauts, yes, correct, yeah. And that's what I love about these, like, just short stories in general. To me, that they're, they're probably the best. Um, the the good ones are are great, um, and and whether it's a short story like written or a short story like this animated, because the ending, the endings are either funny or they're they're they just kind of hint that whatever's happening is just going to keep going. And you're you're never going to see the end. You just have this like little glimpse, or or there's some twist. I, I think it's, I think it's pretty great. It, it's very very interesting how how these things end. Uh, like the one called Swarm. Two human scientists study the secrets of an mm-hmm. ancient alien entity, but soon learn the horrible price of survival in a hostile universe. Um, just the ending of it is like, oh shit. Okay, all right. <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> that's how it's going to go down. Well, but but also there was an interesting dynamic there because the the humans had made a plan to try and basically enslave the Correct. the non-sentient um members of the swarm. Right. And the sentient members of the swarm took exception. We're like, nope. Not going to happen. Yeah. So you kind of get what you yeah. get, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it was great. Um, it was a great episode. It it really so what was your favorite episode, Omar? There, by the way, there are nine episodes in this season, and they all range from like six to sixteen. Oh man, um, I always love the three robot ones, but I think the best, weird, like most interesting, well done is um, Jibaro. Really, it was just really interesting, and I kept. It kept me on my toes the whole time. It's beautifully done. The animation I thought was like super interesting, and the way that the siren moved 
mm-hmm. was so like they did a good job of portraying her as some like almost otherworldly thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of the reason is because I, as I was kind of looking this stuff up today, while I was researching these episodes, so that the writer of that particular episode really he just said that it's he said that it's about you know just a toxic relationship really where okay which makes sense now that like when you mm-hmm. look at it from that angle it, it 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 makes sense but even the audio on that was absolutely amazing cuz there's a knight that is um hearing impaired and the, even the way that they do such a good job of like you can hear the other knights kind of talking or horses or whatever the sounds of the forest and then as soon as they go to the main knight's mm-hmm. point of view, you're not hearing anything or very, 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 like, super muffled. And then when the siren does her, like, cry, there's this, like, staccato nature to it. This, like, like the way that she does it. And it's so well done. It's so well, like, produced. Like, the audio of it is so good. Um, and it shows how, like, the sound sort of echoes through the forest and everything. It, it's really amazing. It, I, I thought it was super well done. Um, but one thing I will say about that one, I, I was as I was kind of getting into my thoughts about this one, I, I was going to say that the knight is the protagonist. But then I thought about the episode a little bit with a little bit of hindsight, and it's kind of like, like he definitely didn't, set out for the events that happen with the siren, but he's definitely not a good guy. Exactly. <laughs> Which t- took a surprising turn. Like it took a shocking turn at one point, mm-hmm. but it, I think it's a great episode. I don't know. I just thought it was really well done. What about you? Which one did you? And, it, and it's always, it's always interesting to find out, you know, what each one of us, our favorite episodes were, um, because we, we typically have different tastes. My favorite episode, I think, was was the only one that during the episode made me go, holy shit, what the f- And that was episode seven, Mason's Rats. That was a great episode. It really, really was. When he opened that barn and saw the full-fledged war that was going on inside the barn between the mobile unit uh-huh. and the rats... Yep. You're like, he opened that barn, and I was like, Jesus Christ, (laughs) what is going on in here? It it was really, really surprising. Um, you you actually saw the change in the farmer and the change in the rats, and kind of the the alliance and realizing that the whole genocide thing was wrong. And I think they kind of like worked worked their way, you know, worked it out basically. But it was it was it was my favorite episode. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, now I've only seen two of them. Which one did but, you see? Which ones you what, the, just the first? Two? I saw uh, the three robots and then Bad Traveling, which is the pirate Thanopod thing. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to make mention of that because I, I don't know if you guys talked about it when I stepped no, away. And, no, no. Um, but Bad Traveling it was uh, a high seas adventure, you know, possibly another time. Because the boat was a little modern, but also not. Um, it's supposed anyway, to take place like giant on a different crab planet, cre- I think. Yeah, and there's this giant crab creature, and it's it's really dark. It's re- it's kind of bloody. Um, beautifully done, uh, but 
the thing that caught my eye was it, that was actually written by Andrew Kevin Walker. Okay. If you don't know the no. name, like I remembered it as soon as I heard it, I'm like, what? Why have I heard that? And he was the guy that wrote Seven. Oh, oh. okay. Wow. Um, and he also wrote he. After Seven, he did like Sleeping Hollow and Brain Scan, a bunch of just a bunch of like mind screws, and. It's so like that's cool, and then I was like, "That's an interesting." And then I realized that it was directed by David Fincher, who you know directed, directed Seven, Seven, and uh, he directed Alien Three, which, as most people hated, including myself. And his whole thing was he he wanted he said this, and that's how I kind of like put all of it together that he wanted his contribution to be as close to the Alien movie that he screwed up as possible. So, oh, that's interesting. Get another shot. Get another shot of it at it interesting okay um so it definitely has that type of uh you know what's going on in the dark and little pods and things like that so yeah, I, th- I thought that was really cool i like the main character in that one like um just how clever he is mm-hmm. with the with the lots or whatever what, well with the lots and then the then he he has them decide to go to one island or the other and remember how he he like plays sort of a game with that as well um, and how that ends up like that. It, he's just very clever. He's, he, it's, it's very well done. Yeah. Um, and the animation's amazing. I love the ship. I love how the ship looks. It's got those like two sails and like the, the, and that, like, the, the front of it looks almost point. like blades. They're really cool. Yep. I thought it was a, I thought it was, they did a good job of, of showing you that like, this is like a crew on a ship. But it's not exactly like what we're used to. And then, of course, that giant crab thing pops out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, it's been a big pirate week for me. Oh, okay. Because of that, I just finished a podcast about Blackbeard, and then I finally got around to finishing uh, our Flag Means Death. Okay. So it's been a, it's been a pirate, big pirate week. All right. Yo-ho. Our now, these, uh, these episodes... Typically, ha- or the the seasons typically have um, like we typically see like a a big star in one of them. Did you notice a big star in one of these episodes, Omar? Because I kept looking at it, going, "Is that star. is that who I think it is?" Um, no. I think I know which one you're talking about. Maybe. But no, I'm not sure. Is it the one with the giant bear? No. No? The kill team killed? No. And I, I recognized him straight off. I was like, holy shit. I think that's Joe Manganiello. Wait, who's Joe Who's oh. Joe Manganiello? Why, why should I know that? He's uh, Sofia Vergara's husband. Yeah. Oh. Okay. But also an actor. Also a lucky yeah, guy. Yeah, he's an actor. Um, he's a... True. Um, you, uh, did you see True Blood? Yeah. He was... He was the werewolf. He was yeah. Oh, okay. He was the werewolf. All right. He was supposed to be uh, not Deadpool. What's uh, his name? Uh, the orange and blue DC like Punisher ripoff guy. No, Deathstroke. His name. What? Deathstroke. Deathstroke. There we go. I'm like, I know it's a Deadpool. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, he's supposed to be Deathstroke, but then the movie sucked, so they he oh. didn't do it. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, um, but he was he was the sergeant in that one. He was he was the uh, the lead army officer in that one. Okay. Well, I just found out one of the robots in Three Robots is um, 
Big Head from Silicon Valley, <laughs> which is like one of my not exactly the which uh, is one of my favorite shows. Star no, but it's like such a great show, and he's such a funny character. So I was excited to hear about that. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, well, uh, but this was a very uh, a great week of entertainment. And so, you know, apart from not being able to like sit down and relax to watch it, I had to kind of rush through stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was very pleasantly pleased with Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Okay. Um, which came out on, and like I was excited because, you know, something new. But it came out on uh, May 20th, 2022, directed by Akiva Schaefer, who I know nothing about. And uh, uh, 30 years after their popular television show ended, Chipmunks, Chip and Dale, live very different lives. When a cast member from the original series mysteriously disappears, the pair must reunite to save their friend. Oh, sorry. I got to initial thoughts. Um, to save their friend. Uh, were you guys Rescue Rangers people? I was. I remember it. I don't think I watched it that much. I, I liked it. I would just, but I pretended like I begrudgingly liked it because anytime I turned on the TV after school, I wanted to see GI Joe and only GI Joe. Mm-hmm. I know that game. So when it was like the Disney power hour or something, I was like, mm. but, um, it was good to see the gang back together somewhat. And, uh, some of the people in this, um, they've they changed the Chippendale voice. It's now uh, Andy Samberg and John John Mulaney. Mm-hmm. Um, Do they make them high pitch, or is it just their voices? It's just their voice. Got it. Yeah, it's their voices, and they they basically are pretending that they are actual real actors that play the Chippendale characters. So when they're reminiscing about playing the Chippendale characters, they voice goes to the high pitched. And no, the voice goes high pitched when they show you old clips. Interesting. Not when they reminisce, but when they show you clips from the show, you get you get the voices from the show. Now, the problem I had with this was that you literally made an attempt to make all of the other characters sound like they did in the show. Except for Chip and Dale. And The other thing that drove me absolutely insane about this was that you literally have the entire original cast on the fucking payroll already. And you recasted all of the characters except Gadget. Every one of the original voice actors is on the payroll and you recasted everyone. That's weird. Why? And spent more to do it. Yeah. Because Eric Bana can't be cheap. Right. And I'm like, what? And and I'm like, is Andy Samberg and John Mulaney that big of a draw? And and this thing went, I mean, it went direct to streaming. It wasn't like it was out in the theater. That's weird. Apparently, John Mulaney has a much bigger fan base than, like, I just learned who he was, like, in the past mm-hmm. six months. Yeah, he kind of blew up recently. Because I've only known about him for like six months to or a year as well. Yeah. Andy Samberg. I've known him forever. But <clears throat> Tress McNeil was the original voice of Gadget. She was also the original voice of Chip. You also had... Um, um, God, I'm drawing a blank right now. Monterey um, Jack? Dar- Darkwing Duck. Jim Cummings. You also had Jim Cummings, who was the original voice of Monterey Jack. But you recast him as Eric Bana. 
Now, granted, they did a decent job with Monterey Jack trying to make him sound like the original character. But you had Jim Cummings on the on the roster. I mean, he's already he's already working on the movie. And then they also had the original Dale. Um God, I don't remember his name. Anyway, but you literally had all of the original voice actors on the roster. Why did you recast everyone except Gadget? That doesn't make any no, sense to weird. me. You couldn't find anything on that? Like, the reasoning behind that? Well, I believe that it might have been the, the producing team. I think it was, I mean, it was produced by Disney, but also I believe it was produced by uh, Lonely Island. Ah, well, that, that makes um, sense. Which is Andy Samberg's company. Mm. So, oh, so uh, who knows? You never know. Kind of exactly. <clears throat> I, I love this and didn't have any problem with the voices at all. <laughs> I, um, if I was like, okay, well, let's just try watching this. I kind of expected my my uh, brain to wander, like when my kid decides to watch the the like Descendants or something, whatever the kids of the like bad people. Um, but when I like the first couple jokes. And there I was like, oh, this is to my generation. This is not mm-hmm. aimed direct completely at the kids. And it had a very uh, a very strong uh, uh, Roger Rabbit vibe. Oh, interesting. To it. Okay. Who incidentally was in the movie. Yeah. They probably recast him too. Wait, who was in the movie? Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit. Really? Like everyone's in it. Yeah. E- everyone, is, everyone is in this movie. Oh, that's cool. Okay. And... And while I did like the storyline, and I thought they did a good job with that, making a cohesive story that was actually engaging, it took me three sittings to get through the movie. I hated the voice acting. Wow. Hated the voice acting of Chip and Dale. Interesting. Okay. Oh, man. We, I sat down and just was, I was like, like oh, we got to watch that again sometime. And it wasn't just because of the... Uh, the um cameos and stuff uh the plot was it was kind of interesting because they talked a lot about bootleg movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that and i used to always crack up when the bootleg like blockbusters would come into our blockbuster store rob mm-hmm. it'd be like you know jurassic park and then you know dinosaur land <laughs> dinosaur island yeah um yeah should we see the general's daughter or the corporal's wife <laughs> seriously um and so like i damn it i I made a stupid general's daughter and now you're now you've lost your like totally now um i just the uh the the bootleg thing was really really cool to me just because the way they showed it and if you like know all the characters and know all of the the bits that they're taking off of other characters and adding to other ones it's kind of a fun little Mm -hmm. thing to watch well, like right. I said, the the story was the story was good. They actually did a solid job creating a good movie. They just effed the voice casting. And uh but yeah, so they the it was basically a whole thing about bootlegging where these people, as I was saying, they uh um if they owed money to someone, they would basically get put into uh bootleg cartoon servitude. And they showed all these, like, down-on-your-luck, like, former Disney characters. It was, like, uh, Lumiere <laughs> was in it. 
And uh, who's the other one? Was it Chip? No, it was uh, Flounder. Flounder. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so funny. And Pooh. And, interesting. And uh, Pooh Bear. No, it was, just, it was just cute. There was a, I mean, we don't really want to sit here just listing cameos, but they, some of them weren't Disney cameos either. Right. So. And some of them were actually kind of funny, like the, the whole ugly Sonic thing. Yeah, they actually had ugly Sonic in there. Oh, that's funny. And he, and he had like a part. Like he didn't, he wasn't just a gag. He actually was mm-hmm. sort of a character. Um, you know, Batman shows up in there, and uh, was... I really enjoyed it. Um, the kiddo really enjoyed it. Um, I don't. I think, I think he's sort of agnostic on the Chippendale voices because I don't think he's ever heard Chippendale speak. R- yeah, it's not going to be a thing. Um, although I did immediately afterwards, he uh, grabbed the remote and put on a Chippendale's Rescue Rangers episode. Cool. So I'm like, okay. okay, fine. You're supposed to be in bed, but just this once. You can do this. Yeah. <laughs> did he like the episode? He did. It was the first one. Okay. Um, and it remi- and it reminded me of the Chip and Dill's, uh video game that I used to have, and it was a fun game. In fact, I think they actually even reference it in the movie. Okay. I like the Lonely Island tie-in there. That's interesting to me. <clears throat> but enough about that. But so I say, see it, uh, Rob. I mean, I would say see it, but I would also say hashtag not my Chippendale. <laughs> That's funny. So maybe you see it, and every time Chippendale speak, you put it on fast forward. There you so go. You get, so you get your chipmunk voices, and then <laughs> stop it really quick, and then you can get your regular voices. Well, there you go. That works. Yeah, because they would they would go high pitched when they argued, and they actually had the original voice actors do the high pitched versions of Chip and Dale when they argued and got really heated. But again, I, why not just just leave it, leave it well enough alone? In, well, in some ways, I I get the whole like you should kind of what, what is it ride ride with the horse that got you there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know these people have. Their voices have been these characters for decades. So, yeah, the idea of, of changing it out in, quote-unquote, their big break or, like, the the big movie of their characters that they haven't done in years. Right. Uh, well, I mean, and, and some, of these, some of these guys are very accomplished voice actors. And voice acting is completely different than regular acting. Right. Jim Cumming is, is poo as well, isn't he? Yes, Jim Cummings is He's a like that soft, scratchy of characters. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's crazy when you see them actually do it live. But anyway, I think that's uh, what we got so far with our topics. Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so early on, we had an episode where Rob randomly posed a question: If you could describe the eighties. Uh, with, no, no, no. I believe it was if you had to pick five must-see '80s movies to somebody who had never seen anything from the '80s, yes. what would your selections be? And it was one of those random questions that actually became our top five question. So since I talked about the '90s, and since we have, uh, when we talked about Love, Death, and Robots in the past, we did a bunch of uh, things about uh, what are they called? I want to say synopsis because I just read the word. Uh, 
uh, move like TV shows with uh, shorts and stuff like that. We we like asked anthologies. that question. So anthologies. There we go. Thank you. I got to not look at the word synopsis when I'm trying to say anthology. <laughs> uh, I posed the question this week: If uh, someone was not around in the '90s or needed to know more about the '90s, and you were like, "Okay, these f- five pieces of media will give you a good overview of the '90s," what would you pick? And it's weird because I think most of my students right now, it's, I mention stuff from the '90s, they're like, "What?" So it's like someone asking or mentioning stuff about the seventies to us when we were in mm-hmm. like high school and college. Just I just like when I thought of the seventies, I just thought of like stupid collars and cars with vinyl roofs and like and significant amounts of cocaine. No, but that was also the eighties. Yeah. It's true. It's also today. <laughs> There's a lot. I don't think you hear a whole lot about no. cocaine like you did in no, the No, that's no, it's true. It's more associated with of course, yeah. Well, in the '70s, it was it was more of an open like, "Hey, let's all do yeah. cocaine." In the in the '80s, it was all about stopping people from doing cocaine with like Dare and just say and no thing, and of course, Miami Vice, the best show that has ever been on television. Mm. Not Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I that's what I did. Now, this actually could have been one of those more discussion based questions, but. And I actually um, treated it like like it was a '90s version of the '80s question. Okay, so you you focused on movies. I well, I, movies are kind of my thing. So yes, I mean, okay. I okay. I do have I do have an honorable mention that is not a movie just because. Well, um, Rob, why don't you jump into the yeah. right? You're gonna yeah. start. All right. Well, I my honorable mention is actually a video game, um, but I I feel like I need to mention Tomb Raider. The the oh, Tomb Raider franchise, the video game started in the '90s. So I'm going to go with Tomb Raider as my honorable mention. And the the movies were hard for me because there were a number of movies that I really wanted to include. Um, I mean, because the 90s had movies like Goodfellas, Fight Club, um, Shawshank Redemption, Silence of the Lambs, Seven, Braveheart. And these were all movies that didn't make my list. My number five movie, and I know it might be an unpopular pick in retrospect, but it was still a damn good movie. When it came out, the fact that the main character is now a pariah, you know, does not take away from the fact that it was a well-crafted movie and it was it was a great story and very well acted. And that's the usual. That is the second to last chapter in the 90s book. The usual suspects or Kevin Spacey or no, no, they talk about Kevin's. Well, again, looking back at Kevin Spacey in that time period, how he was lauded for all of his awesome roles. And then looking mm-hmm. back now, especially American beauty. Yeah. Right. Um, American beauty was kind of creepy. And I mean, I thought it was creepy when it came out. I didn't watch it when it came out. I still haven't seen American. I knew what the, what the, uh, what the pretext of the movie was. And I was like, mm. well, in, in that movie, like on the whole is it's actually a really good movie. It's just about a dude who's like had enough shit. It, really, that's all it is. And there's this that one part with, with um, what Mina Suvari is that her name? Which yeah. it, you know, which of course gets weird. But overall, the movie is. But he bails on it. I mean, it gets further. It goes further than it should. But, but he, he does. does bail it, on it. it goes way further than it's like. But like, still, he does bail. Correct. But yeah. overall, the movie is. 
different. The, uh, you know what? That movie's kind of like um, an artsy version of Falling Down with less violence. I was just gonna. That's a. I was just gonna say there. There are three movies that completely. And this, I know we're going way off track here, but completely describe my feelings at that time. Getting out of college, you're supposed to do big things, and then, well, we have this unpaid internship for you, where you're just kind of like sick of everything, and mm-hmm. like I loved Falling yep. Down. Um, American Beauty and Office Space. Those three movies were like, and they're not only, well, one of them is, but like, yeah, like those three movies were my exact feeling at that exact time. So anyway, sorry, Rob. That's all right. Good good pick, by the way. So number five is Usual Suspects. Number four is, was absolutely groundbreaking. Just the idea of it when it came out. Um. And the the sequels have not really recaptured the original because, you know, once you do the original, everything after that is like, yeah, I've kind of seen this. I've seen this already. But that was The Matrix. Yeah. The the Matrix was super groundbreaking with its storyline alone. Um, and then the, the visuals that they did with creating the bullet time and all of that, it, it, it was just, it was innovative and I, and, yeah, just something that we hadn't seen before. And everyone was just enamored with it. Matrix is number four. Number three kind of brought the horror genre back to prominence. Hmm. And that's Scream. Oh, yeah. The original Scream in, what was it, 93, 95? Somewhere in there, 94, uh, 95. It was like, no, it was, it was, it was 96. Really? Was it 96? Okay. Yeah. Because it was, well, it was, it was, Kind of across two years, I think, because um, it, they did a re-release because it blew up and they weren't expecting it. Mm-hmm. it, it but so it really was it really was a resurgence of the horror genre, even though it was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek meta look at the horror the old uh, tropes of the horror genre, and people loved it. And like you said, it blew up. It was super popular and and took off. Spawned a bunch of sequels that weren't really all that great. Spawned a spoof series that was okay for the first one, and then after that it was just all terrible. Um, but Scream is at number three. Number two, I I gotta do Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, seeing, seeing dinosaurs live on screen. Omar, the- I don't think he realizes they were digital. They were digital? Well, no, they weren't. That's the thing, though. They weren't all digital. <laughs> I know, I know. They they created, um, like, life-size animatronic versions. Like, all of the close-ups that you saw of the dinosaurs were all hand-painted and sculpted animatronic versions. The 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 shots where they, u- they used CGI sparingly. They used it where they could hide it, basically, because they knew that the CGI wasn't going to look quite right yeah it was still new it was it was still new and they knew it was going to be a rough sell if they featured it super hard in the center of the screen like i don't know a sound of thunder um classic movie (laughs) (laughs) um but they they did it right and the If, if you real quick if you want to kind of determine when it was real and fake uh if the camera is moving it's most likely a animatronic or something if the camera is locked down. So, for example, the part where the the little dinosaurs are running and the kids, like, hide under a yeah. log, mm-hmm. the camera is locked down. That's digital. 
because it was really hard to camera track back then to get it to, the objects to not like move when the camera moves. So that camera is locked down, and the dinosaurs just run. And in there, place I will say that there were a couple of sequences where I was amazed to find out what was CG and what wasn't. The do you remember the scene when the T Rex is first introduced and he comes through the the thing and he's like terrorizing the kids and the Jeep and everything and he flips the Jeep over and steps on the yeah. Jeep and like crushes it down into the mud and bites the tires and shit. Mm-hmm. Did you know that the entire Jeep was CG? No. Did Holy it? shit. The entire Jeep was CG. Well, that's well done. Yeah. Yeah. So um like the and I'm talking about the scene where the Jeep is laying on its roof and yeah, yeah, in the, the T Rex steps on it, squishes it into the mud. That particular scene, the entire Jeep was CG. Grabs the tire and like yeah. rips it off like a French bulldog with a toy. Yeah. So in ninety three when Jurassic Park was released, it was it was amazing. Yeah, it was. And and what they accomplished at that time really opened a lot of people's eyes. To the possibilities of where you could go with this. So Jurassic Park is my number two, but my my number one must see movie of the '90s features a singular performance by an actor who was not even the lead. That was truly amazing hmm. and still in my eyes he's totally going to talk about death the smoochie his <laughs> best role to date and the fact that he was he was not even a main character in the movie and out outperformed the other people in the movie the likes of the gravelly magnetism of sam elliott kurt russell okay bill paxton yep. Jason Priestley, Michael Behan, or Michael yep. Bean. I didn't realize you liked Sex in the City that much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But but for being a it – was, it was just an amazing and a once-in-a-lifetime performance. And, of course, I'm talking about Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday in the movie Tombstone. Absolutely. That was so good. So good. I need to watch that. And movie. still one of the best Westerns. To date, didn't that kind of revive so, the western genre as well? If I recall correctly, they did Unforgiven right afterwards. Which one was Unforgiven after or before it? Oh, maybe I don't know. You said best western, and I just want to stay at a shitty hotel. <laughs> <laughs> shitty hotel. <laughs> I'm gonna stay at a hotel where there's a strong possibility there's a syringe hidden in the box spring. Like that's free to use, by the way. They leave those there. It's like take a penny, leave a penny. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that, did you? I, is that is that what you use when you uh when you put uh you use those take a penny leave a pennies to stick them in the bed so that they vibrate? Yes. Yeah, but with syringes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with syringes. Oh my god. <laughs> Someday off the air, I'll tell you about the time that I found a bunch of crack in a hotel room and freaked the hell out. Okay, you were not and, supposed to smoke. And it. Yeah, Unforgiven was ninety two. Tombstone was ninety three. Okay. okay. Fair enough. I like Tombstone better. I, did, I do, too. A lot too. better, actually. But Unforgiven was a decent Unforgiven movie. was a solid movie, but Tombstone was... Oh, Tombstone, well, just yeah. amazing. I'm going to push ahead. Push because, ahead, Greg, push ahead. As we have... Push ahead right out of your... Wait, what? 
We have a list from our uh, patron of unusual size, Ooh. who, by the way, actually might keep weirder hours than me because periodically at night I'll do one of those like you know those online games where it, like the framed game, uh, where it shows like a screen of a movie and you have to guess which one it is. But um, the other day it was Jaws, which is his favorite movie, and that's not a spoiler because you can't get back to it. So I sent it to him so he would do it, but he like did it at like four in the morning. Oh, and was like, oh, thanks. I was like, but I, you know, I was still up at three, Do so I don't you know if you sleep, you vampire. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so uh, this is Alec, our patron of unusual size, with his list. And now I gave him. He asked me some questions about it, and I basically told him that I I kind of like the personal stories mm-hmm. when it comes to this. So I, I he might have leaned that direction. Hey, give me five podcast. It's Alec. Top five physical media from the nineties. Number five is anything that had Michael Jordan on it, whether it be a Sports Illustrated magazine or a newspaper after they won the championship or a video game that he was in, which was hard to do sometimes after a certain point because they had licensing issues, but that would definitely be number five. Number four is a mixture of tapes and CDs. Um, so he went with the that media. Come to mind the Wu-Tang into the 36 Chambers. I had that tape and wore that out, and then I had a, a CD of Jimi Hendrix's greatest hits that I – I bought in the late 90s that I wore out as well, but obviously other music as well, but those two come to mind. Number three is Entertainment Weekly Magazine. As a movie lover, um, that magazine was kind of like, almost like the Bible. It came out every week, and it would have the fall movie preview and different things like that that were exciting so you can know what's coming out and get behind the scenes look at the movies. Number two, VHS was still pretty big. But this is a time where you could actually buy them as opposed to the 80s when most of them were not priced for sale. Um, specifically, I wore out the Speed and Dumb and Dumber VHSs. <laughs> and then number one 90s physical media, for, for me at least, was Sega Genesis. Um, mm-hmm. I would play all the different NBA games, Bulls versus Lakers, NBA Live, uh, Madden Football, and, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog. So that's my uh, list. Hope you like it. Thanks. Bye. Nice. Over. Um, that magazine was why it always every, does every time. that. Like, only with him though. I don't know. It plays it again, and it plays it from a weird spot too. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that he does that on purpose, and he just writes down what he's saying as he says it, and then when he gets to the end, he just he picks a random saying, spot yeah. on his list and just starts reading. <laughs> yeah, I don't know because you know, like you've heard me hit s- shorter things, and it just goes and like you know, uh, for example, um. Friend, I was going to do our friend the fart, but I can't our friend it. the fart. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that should be a name of the episode. <laughs> it might be. Okay. okay. As usual, Alec, uh, he killed it. That was great. He's he's yeah, good. He <clears throat> Love it. Um, so, what do you want? Omar, go because I've got a shit ton. Okay. All right. Um, as usual, I have, you know, seven or eight of my top five. Um, I kind of tried to pick a little bit of each. Like, I didn't specifically stick to one thing. Um, and a lot of these things that are that I've written down are also happen to just be things that I've come across lately for, like, random reasons. So they're just kind of, like, fresh in my mind. But, of course... Rob, the host approval... The host approval... Uh test really needs to have a math section. Yeah, I think so. What's well, top five, right? 
Okay, so for my number seven <laughs> okay, I've got 15, is no, so. I'm just kidding. <laughs> How many do I have written down? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We can count. That's good. Yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. I can, Bring it okay. on. Okay. So let's see. Um, I'll, I'll kind of pick and choose as I go through these. I'll, I'll start with number five because you know the video game thing was kind of a big deal. So for me, it was Doom. That was just mm-hmm. I can just remember sitting in. 1995 when I finally got my first PC playing Doom and listening to 311 <laughs> which pairs nicely actually <laughs> believe it or not their second album like a steak and a nice grassroots <laughs> their second album you know it pairs very nicely yeah. with Doom and probably Zima I'm assuming I don't remember <laughs> um, <laughs> who can I don't it's a long time ago I want to go back to yeah. the 90s um, so that's my number five I'm going to go Doom for that uh, I'm going to say for TV, this isn't necessarily something that I, it, it's something that I was into at first and then very quickly became, you know, an eye roll thing, but we're going with Bondage. things that like scream nineties. So for number four, I'm going to go with the real world on MTV no. because it doesn't get any more nineties than, than the real world. People stop acting real and start well, start act, stop acting polite and start being real, which they were never polite and it, and was, it was completely, completely scripted. scripted. Sure, of course, but that's like super nineties. I mean, that just screams nineties. Uh, that's one of the chapters in the nineties book as well. The, the real way. world, uh, or making fun of the fact that it was scripted. Okay, basically. got it. Um, let's see. So much to choose from. I'm gonna go with for number three. It was a. It was kind of in between two shows, but I'm gonna go Friends. Um, I was also thinking of throwing Seinfeld in there, which is obviously, of course, very '90s. But Friends, also, I think more so than Seinfeld, takes you through like a lot of the fashions and things like that. You know, like like clothing and like music, like poppy, trendy music at the time. So you get a really a pretty solid cross section of what like '90s life was like, as, except for the fact that they lived in what was probably an exorbitantly expensive apartment that they could never really afford. But whatever, with a duck and with a, monkey. a duck and a monkey, and yeah, exactly. Um, and also, I just, I just, I was late to the party on Friends, but I thought it was a pretty hilarious show. Eventually, when I got to it, um, so okay, so that was number three. Number two, this is so difficult, but I'm gonna also go Jurassic Park movie. Um, I had a couple other things written down as well, but yeah, Jurassic Park, it's the groundbreaking. I mean, it's, you know, everything that we've already discussed, I'm not going to like rehash that, but just everything about it was great. And if you have not, by the way, read the book, you should, the book is so well written that you forget, like you think that this is like possible. It's so well done. If you've not read the book, it's amazing. And for number one, obviously I've gone through a couple of different iterations, but I'll just say grunge in general. Because, you know, of course, Super 90s, It one of the reasons that we think of Guns N' Roses and, you know, what we'll call hair metal bands, one of the reasons that we think of them as 80s is because grunge just put the brakes on that shit. Like, you know, I mean, as soon as grunge hit, as soon as Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, all that other stuff just sort of like fizzled out. Yep. Not even fizzled out. It was... A lot of A&R people lost oh, their jobs it was crazy. in like one week. Right. So you, so like you were saying earlier with the book, the 90s, you know, like, and I agree, Guns N' Roses and things like that. 
even to this day, are still considered 80s. And I think I, you, there's an argument to be made that the reason they're still considered 80s is because of grunge, even though a lot of those bands are still around and still touring, literally. Um, mm-hmm. Just was supposed to see them the other night. Guns N' Roses, but I was sitting in a... <laughs> I was playing... I was listening to the book. In the rain. In the... Uh, no, I wasn't. It wasn't raining on me because I was inside right. of the sta- the right, bandstand right, right. or the stands. But um, cool. so that's my that's my extremely incomplete top five nineties oh. list out of the one million different things that any one of us could have. I was gonna say, Greg, I believe you've got a a list of like seventy two things. I do. I, I kind of split it up a little bit just because of the way I was, you know, driving because a lot and stuff like that. Boil it down to five. I'm just going to go fast on each one. So I'm going I'm to do it like music. But in and, fairness, and it, it is five. Like it's just different categories. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, four. But... Four. So um, music, number five, I'm going to go Milanus Morissette. It really it brought the girl like rage thing to the surface in a pop friendly way because, you know, and it really led to um, other female musicians getting brought out there. And I'm not a world's biggest fan of you know, female anger rock, but. It was a big deal. Teresa and I um, were just I listening re- to Alanis Morissette today. That's a pretty good record. I still remember getting to college right when that song was when uh, You Ought to Know was taking off. And I remember we were we went over to like the, a girl's dorm like to talk to a friend through the window. And every single one of the windows was open blaring that song. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is not a good sign. That's funny. Not <laughs> at all. Like because they were, you know, like they were just mad at dudes. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in trouble. College is going to suck. <laughs> um so that's number five. Number four, uh, Metallica Black Album. The reason why is that actually brought um, metal and rock music to the forefront because this is one. It's not the first album because it was Slave to the Grind, but one of the first albums that went through SoundScan, and it hit number one. And in the past, store they would count what the number one album is based on how many albums the stores bought, not how many they albums sold. people yeah. bought. So all a record label had to do was like, oh, the new Madonna's album's coming out. If you buy 100 of them, you get them at a discount, so all of a sudden they were at number one, where, even though they might have only sold twenty. Obviously, Madonna was a bad example because she was popular, but you know what I'm saying. One of the first albums that was on SoundScan as well was Versus by Pearl Jam. That that album became one of the fastest number ones ever, and yep. you know up to that point because of SoundScan. So that's uh, so that was the the black album. Uh, let's see here, uh, number three. I'm going country. Garth Brooks, almost the entirety of his career where he was the biggest musician in the world was in the 90s his album came out is uh that would be no fences was the second album i believe his first album came out in 89 no fences came out in like 91 Mm -hmm. uh he he took country from a guy on a guitar on a stool for the most part i'm being broad here and made it into an experience with lights and explosions and big shows and all that type of stuff because he was a big kiss fan he was a big billy joel fan he brought that to the show, and, um, and that's one of the things that you still hear about Garth Brooks is that he was an amazing showman, mm-hmm. and that and his concerts really were an experience. And that led to Shania Twain. It led to um, Brooks and Dunn, all those other people. Um, so that would be number three. Uh, it, I was in uh, "Achy Breaky Heart." I didn't. Did you know that was a cover? Yeah, I heard that recently. I did not. "Achy Breaky Heart." It actually wasn't called that. It was "You Can Tell My Heart," and the actual word it came out two years before, and. It was actually aching, breaking heart, but uh, Billy Ray Cyrus changed it, and it was a good idea. 
was a good idea for his bank account, not for my ears. It was it was the <laughs> largest song in the country for like what two years or some shit. Yeah, it was it was called uh, "Don't Tell My Heart" by the Marcy Brothers, and it still it exists. I'm assuming they got some money out of it too. Um, so that was that uh, number two, Guns N' Roses, Usual Illusion one and two, kind of closing out the '80s mm-hmm. on that one, and then number one, Nirvana, mm-hmm. Nevermind. Yes, Pearl Jam did not make my list, although that one actually has more lasting power. But we go with that. Uh, movies, real quick. Matrix already talked about. We're good. That was number five. Uh, number four, Jurassic Park. Uh, number three, I put Clueless, but I think I'm going to switch it to Office Space. Was so good. Okay. Office Space is great. The Office Space and Scream were my the ones that got bumped off the list, but I think I'm going to replace Clueless. Well, I'll repl- so we've already talked about Jurassic Park. I'm going to get rid of that. I'll put Office Space there. Clueless, number three. Uh, Clerks, number two, is really the indie. It really let people know that indie films could exist. That's true. Uh, and number one, Pulp Fiction. Every movie yeah. in the crime genre tried to be Correct. Pulp Fiction after that. Pulp Fiction is classic. That's that. Uh, tech, uh, TV, Living Color mm-hmm. was was big and led to a bunch of huge stars later on. Of course, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey being the big one. J-Lo. Uh, yeah, J-Lo. Uh, uh, Jamie Foxx. Some of the Wayans brothers. Yep, Jamie Foxx. Um, and it was just a... There was a time period, probably based on Cosby, who shall not be named, uh, where <laughs> he says namingly, name. yeah, yeah, <laughs> where it was a just shows were willing to be un- unapologetically black. We'll just say because that's what they say, you know, with like Living Color, Arsenio, and just be like, hey, here's what it is, and it was in the mainstream, yeah, um, and hip hop culture crossed over to the mainstream and all sorts of stuff for for better or worse. Um, and Living Color was kind of part of that era. Uh, number four, 90210, which if you look back at it, was actually way more wholesome than you would believe. Uh, number three, Fresh Prince. Okay. Just, I don't know, just seemed to kind of fit yeah. stylistically yeah. with the 90s for me. Mm-hmm. Two is Friends, and number one is Seinfeld. Those have been covered. And I did technology as well, just based on some conversations that we had. Um, I don't really... And it, honestly, it's really just because um, Doom, we mentioned, that's one of them. The AOL, the ubiquitous AOL uh, CD-ROM that showed up in everyone's yep. mailbox 4,000 mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. That would be one of them. Uh, Tamagotchis, Tamagotchi. late 80s, or late 90s, rather. Those Cell were phone? kind of a big deal. Uh, Pokemon could not work at Blockbuster without having to deal with a million kids asking for Pokemon. And I, I liked your Tomb Raider reference. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was, I was kind of leaning towards like a Mario or something like that, but Tomb Raider might actually be a little better because that did, it did change the game, mm-hmm. no pun intended. So, I'll go with that. So those are all mine. Boom. Excellent. Nicely done. Bunch of really good lists. Yeah, and I'm gonna go back and just watch 80s stuff for the or 90s stuff for the rest of the day. Okay. So, that's our episode. All right. If uh, we missed any 90s stuff, yell at us via email. Or give uh, me five podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, someone else do that. Shout us shout out to us on Twitter and Instagram at give me five pod. Go directly to our website, give me five pod give me five podcast.com. And that remember guys, as always, that's F I V E, not the number five. You can also check out our store, give me five podcast.threadless.com for all of your give me five podcast merchandise. Thanks for joining us again. And remember, like I always say. Sing like no one's listening. 
love like you've never been hurt, dance like nobody's watching, and dismember that drifter like the police are knocking at your door. Wise. I, I gotta go. Wise. You saw. <laughs> to a time